0: IA Collaborative is the name of the company. IA stands for Insight to Action, because it's one thing to research and understand people, it's something else to actually design and make things better. And Collaborative's been in the name since day one, and it's served us well. Uh, We work so closely with our uh, our clients. Uh, We even call it dual tracking. So, for example, you have a project where you have a proposal, and the proposal is not only just what the project is, but it's also teaching everyone you're working with along the way how to design, how to uh, get close to the user experience. This is the Visible Voices
1: podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Risa Lewis. Before we get started, here's a word about the L Word podcast. Doctors and litigation, the L Word is a self-contained podcast curriculum that uses interviews and storytelling to give you the practical and psychological preparation required to survive and even thrive during and after medical malpractice litigation. Hi, listeners. Thank you so much for joining. Today, I'm in conversation with designer Kathleen Brandenburg. She was an early pioneer and advocate for human-centered design. She was actually one of the first to link design business strategy, and innovation. In 2000, she co-founded IA Collaborative, which is a global design and innovation consultancy based in Chicago. Fast Company has named her a Master of Design and one of the 50 most influential designers. She has a health design bent interest. And in fact, she's the author of Design for Health, the beginning of a new dialogue between design and public health. Along those lines, she's been a Harvard visiting professor of design for social innovation. Let's get to the conversation where I'm really asking her about design, her approach to design, and why, well, all of us are designers. I read that you feel before you can execute the design, you've got to live with the design problem. And I'm wondering if you can explain to us what that means to you.
0: Yes, you have to live the problem to design the solution. Um, So what it means to me is that you want to get as close to the user experience as possible. You want to truly understand who it is you're designing for. And so to do that, um, you need to think about research as creative. So something we say around the office all the time is, research is creative. Now, this this can be scary if you're someone who's used to a lot of numbers or uh, certainly in healthcare you know, the idea of creativity in your research, um, when you're thinking, God, you know, no, it's it's about controlled variables and ensuring that we're getting down to that, that basic truth. And we need to be very specific. We can't possibly be thinking creatively about research. But the way that we think about creative research here is that it's all about um, really how close can you get to that user experience? So, it's interesting. I um, years ago, I was a I was asked to be a subject matter expert for our government, and um, this is the best way I can illustrate this. You know, when the when the NSA uh, has their annual forum, which is comprised of the FBI, um, the uh, you know all of the different people that are involved in our national security, uh, and they're asking you to bring creativity and bring design as a subject matter expert. Um, this is challenging. In fact, I remember when I got the call because I, was, I had just been out running with athletes to design for one of our clients. <laughs> and athletes, they love to share with you. They're thrilled to share their workout. They want to, you know, come run with us. Uh, let's talk about, you know, let me, let me brag and show off everything I can and tell you everything about my run. Um, our national security doesn't have that luxury. In fact, their end user is hiding out in caves. Their end users are terrorists. they're you know the April spring. They are not at all interested in letting anyone get as close to them as possible. It's the total opposite. So how do you then talk to them about how you can get as close as possible to the user? and um, we do this all the time in design we we um we get really creative. What does it mean to be? the user? How can you immerse yourself and really be in the shoes of that, that person?
1: I want to pivot now to some of your work in health design. Mm. And I want to start by asking, what's
0: it like to work with doctors and clinicians? Oh, well, (laughs) what a question. What's it like to work with doctors and clinicians? I think that, um, one of the things that I really enjoy about working with uh, doctors and clinicians is how enthusiastic they are about what they do. So excited to share with us new things that they've created for themselves. And as a designer, again, we call these workarounds. This is gold when a doctor shows us. Well, here's you know, here's how this is usually set up in you know in the OR, but here's what I do to make it work better for me. And they don't think of that necessarily as something innovative, but it's it's always huge. It's huge. Because for you know, for example, you'll have a doctor create a a new way uh for his team. And a lot of times the teams are people that they've never met before. Complete strangers, brought in, they've never met them, and they'll say, Well, what I like to do is I like to immediately, you know, move these trays in this space to do this to get my flow better. And these are all these little things that they're designing for themselves all day long that can be replicated and supported if only somebody would you know, pay attention to the patterns of those behaviors. So I, I really enjoy uh, listening to, you. and, and I, I'd love to ask the question of you. What have you designed? What has what Risa created in the OR? I mean, you're an emergency medical physician, so I imagine there are things that you have created to make your job easier what workarounds have you created?
1: Thank you for the question. Uh, Actually, (laughs) as you were sharing uh, about what you've seen surgeons do in the operating room, I mean, that just goes back to all of us are designers, whether we realize it or not. And sometimes I uh, design without realizing what I've done. But we share a friend, Ellen Lupton, and I'll speak a little bit about You know the emergency room, the emergency department—I like to call it—and you know the the built environment, the disorganization, the inefficiencies. And we were well into COVID, and uh, PPE was a hot topic. And actually, the fact that there wasn't a lot of PPE available for all the healthcare clinicians that needed it. And I was talking about when I would go into a, a room of someone that was. COVID under investigation or COVID positive, you know, there was the mask, there was the head covering, um, there was the N95 with a surgical mask over it, there was the gown. Now these, you know, one-stop shopping, one-size-fits-all are never one-size-fits-all. And what I would do to actually affix the gown is it was plastic. So rather than my head fitting through the hole, I would actually rip the circle that would form where you put your head through, apply the gown and tie it in the back. So then it would uh, fit my neck more snugly and more appropriately. And I was sharing that with Ellen and she said, oh, that's a health design, at, you know, uh, w- a workaround. And I was like, yes, it is. Why, yes, it is. Um, but I, I also noticed like you were talking about structure and organization Uh, Whenever I start a shift, I start by doing a complete wipe down of the space. And this actually preceded COVID. I used to do this when I worked in New York City because literally the, the physician's workstations were filthy and full of crumbs and spilled beverages Uh, Neither of which you're allowed to do anymore, that is drink or eat at the workstations. However, um, there's the complete wipe down. There's taking out all of my tools that I'll need to examine patients on shift and just getting everything structured and organized um, and designed in a way that I'll know where to find those materials and how to move more efficiently in my patient care.
0: Right. And, And you're thinking the whole time about your team, aren't you? You're thinking entirely about everybody else and how they're going to be working with you. It's systemic. Uh, that's one of the great things about healthcare is that you all the, the profession's always been about teamwork. It always has. Um, in my company here, we've been about teamwork since day one. Uh, research, strategy, and design We all work together. You'll have an MBA sitting right next to a graphic designer sitting right next to a design researcher. Um, and so it's that teamwork is is huge. It's really important. Um, I think it speaks again to this notion of systemic thinking. Um, you know, I was thinking about examples of, of this. You know, I think we're constantly hired to focus in on something very, very specific. And for example, patient adherence, drug adherence, certainly with our big pharma clients. And they're always thinking about this in terms of maybe marketing or advertising. Um, <laughs> go ahead.
1: I've heard you speak about your jelly bean example, and that's like a perfect <laughs> illustration. Can you share that with the
0: audience? Sure, absolutely. Um we had a client who was um, talking to us about patient adherence and sort of complaining and saying, "You know, I don't understand um, why it's so hard. If you know you're going to die and you're prescribed nine pills a day, morning, noon, and night, you know divide them equally, but you know that you're dying, you know that you're sick, and you know that this is life-saving. You take these pills and you will live. Then why is it so hard? Why are the percentages so dramatic of people that drop off? And so they would kind of look at us quizzically and say, you know, I just it seems like maybe they just don't have enough education. Maybe they don't really fully understand <laughs> that they would die. Well, you know, we know that's not the case. People are smart. They know. It's all of the things about human behavior, lifestyle. It's um, it's it's so many factors. And to illustrate this point, we like to work so closely with our clients. We like to include them in every aspect of our research. And again, if you're getting close to the end user, you have to live that experience. And so to live that experience, we said, okay, you take nine pills <laughs> a day. Let's all do it. You know, executives, uh, team, we're all going to take nine pills a day. Of course, you know, placebo pills. And um, so we went through the entire process. We actually, we used um, gross out jelly beans uh, because you didn't want candy. Candy's too yummy. It's too easy to eat candy all day long. It's not a problem. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, um, we used gross out jelly beans uh, because they are really What's gross. a gross? What is gross a gross out, out jelly, jelly bean? bean? Ugh. Well, it, they taste it sounds like it's just like what it sounds like. A gross out jelly bean is a jelly bean that tastes like, like, they all have, there's a jelly bean that it, it's called diapers. Yeah, that says it all. You know, I mean, and one that, a jelly bean that says trash and they smell bad, they taste bad. It, they're gross. It's, um, <laughs> it's really just a way to be like, look, um, this is not a pleasant experience taking these pills. It's not fun. It's hard to find a placebo pill out there that's the size and shape that you need but gross out jelly beans again research is creative how can you make a really creative way for people to adhere and you know i'd be interested in your um in your guess how long do you believe that the team uh, was able to stay adherent
1: well i've cheated a bit because i've heard you share this story (laughs) which is why i love it so much but i think um it's again illustrative word I wanted to use there. It's illustrative of human behavior and how hard it is to change mm-hmm. human behavior. And I think it's um, it's kind of an act of love. It's an act of empathy to conduct uh, an experiment, a research study such as this to say to stop blaming the patient, stop blaming the end user. And understand why it actually is not that easy to take so many pills on a daily basis.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, But (laughs) go ahead and share with the audience sort of how it played out. Well, actually, yeah, they lasted about three days was the max. Like our our biggest hero could do this for three days. And they were trying. Um, You know, you mentioned the word love just now, which reminded me uh, about, again, the systemic way of how we all live. We live with our you know, with our families, with our spouse, with our partners, our dependents. And you reminded me of um, this one observation of how a woman who I think she was in her 80s and her husband was in his 90s and he had to take pills every day. And so in his uh, pill packs, she would put little love notes in there for him every day. And yeah, so like on, you know, Monday, he'd open it up and inside it would say, you can do it. Or, you know, just she had some really silly, cute ones in there, you know, about like, there'll be beer for you on Saturday, if you can get through she, (laughs) she just, you know, or one would just say XO, or they were all really adorable. And um, it made, uh, it made something that an experience that um, is painful into something that he looked forward to, I'm going to have my little love note. But it really speaks, um, it speaks to a few different things about design, it speaks to a workaround someone creating something that doesn't exist. It speaks to, again, that real systemic nature. You know, it's it's not you all alone. It's your whole ecosystem involved in your healthcare. And uh, I think this is a trend that healthcare is beginning to design more and more for, really understanding the interplay of how we all are part of your solution together, not just you and the doctor.
1: Yeah. Um, I read I really like Mm -hmm. what you shared about, you know, with these pills and and it being life-saving that people know, people know, so why don't they do it? One of the uh, design challenges I've thought about ever since being a child, actually speaking of, you know, things start in childhood, but certainly in med school, when I learned that nicotine, tobacco smoking contributes to almost every Disease process out there. Like, it may not cause every disease process, but it's a negative contributing factor to almost everything. Um, Yet, people um, find it exquisitely difficult to quit smoking cigarettes. And, you know, um, everybody knows they should stop. Everybody says they try to stop, but they can't stop. And, you know, part of this is design human behavior oriented, but, you know, some of it is actually the true chemical drug dependency effects of nicotine. Um, But I'm wondering what your insights
0: are on, you know, why people don't just. Why don't they just quit? Well, um, I think we need to look at consumerism for this answer. Uh, The consumerism of healthcare is very much on our radar uh, because we think so systemically. We see, people say, oh, you know, patients are people. Yes, we know this, but for design, what it really means is that we are always trying to create joy in our experiences, convenience in any experience. Um, if we can start tapping into that a little bit more, um, I think we're going to have a lot more success when it comes to trying to change behavior. Meaning that if we're uh, thinking about people as um, like uh, GPS, I think is a great example of convenience. You know, it used to be where if you wanted to get somewhere, you had to plot a, a map. A physical map and unfold it and look for where you were going. Well, we've been using technology now to the place where you just pull out your phone and you immediately know where you're going. It's just so simple. We've made, we've gotten rid of that convenience challenge. And I think that that's a convenience is such a consumer word. And when it comes to something like smoking cessation, uh, instead of sort of shaking our finger at people and saying, you know, this is bad for you and just giving you more education. How do we make it convenient for them to quit? Have we thought about that in design? So we thought about using things from the consumer world that nudge and get people to do what we need them to do um, and and, and applied it that way.
1: Yeah. You've been running your company, your consultancy for years. You
0: founded it. And I wanted to ask what it's like being a woman in this space. A woman in consultancy. Uh, Well, so yes, so 22 years ago, started this company uh, and things were very different then. Um, 22 years. I sound like that. I sound like that, um, that woman who's like, yeah, going uphill both ways to school. <laughs> but things were very different. Um, I was 28 years old. And uh, as a woman, you know, single woman, uh, co-founding a company, walking into a room, it was pretty much only men for, I would say, the first five years of business, anywhere I went. Uh, I would see a woman occasionally who took my lunch order, but for the most part, it was really bleak when it came to women representation. Um, What I decided to do, and it might be an unpopular answer to a lot of listeners, but what I decided to do was, yes, acknowledge it, um, be aware of it, but use it as an opportunity. I looked at it and thought to myself, this is how it is right now. I wanted to change uh, I'm very proud that my company right now is 50% all-women leadership, and uh, I think we're 64% female here at our company. So I'm proud of what I've created. But I made this choice uh, back then that if I'm going to be the giraffe walking into a room of elephants, well, that's an opportunity. You Rather than be hung up on it and be really angry about that situation, I know I'm going to have attention simply by being different walking into the room, I'm going to be noticed. And back then noticed, and then pretty quickly dismissed, because that's kind of how it was. But there's this place in between being noticed and dismissed, where if you can, you you know, really uh, enjoy your difference, meaning take advantage of the fact that you're unique, and then you have the floor. And so bring it, uh, I think it's, it's more about um, what you have to contribute than the perfect representation in the room. So yeah, that's I'm...
1: what I've seen, what I know of the design field is there are lots of women, many, many, many women. However, very few ascend to leadership, ascend to being partner at blank, partner at blank. Um, Paula Cher came on the podcast and she was the first partner uh, at Pentagram. And we talked a bit about her journey. In fact, that's often talked about as her journey, even though I think she's like, enough already. Like, I'm a designer, stop focusing on this. But I think there's a reason we focus on this. And there's a reason I ask you this because m- industries, I think, are not so different from each other in terms of who uh, ascends and gets promoted to leadership, whose voices are heard, uh, whose are not. And so, you know, how do you take that into account when you're uh, training people, building people, and bringing them
0: into your company? <laughs> well, I love to acknowledge it. There was a project we were on um, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, and I was in a room full of women at my office. I think there were maybe about seven of us. And um, you know, we were working on the project. Things were going great. And I, I paused and I stopped and I said, hey, yeah, look around. There's, we're all women here. Seven of us. We're leading this initiative. Hey, isn't this cool? <laughs> just took a moment to acknowledge it. I think is really important. Uh, at our company, we actually have a, uh, one of our focus areas is women designed for women. And, uh, that is, you know, when we began that, uh, capability, I remember we would have these meetings and what would happen is women would start telling our stories, you know, of, you know, um, unequal pay and uh, harassment. And, and it, I I basically said, you know what, I I need to go back to my roots here of being 28 and starting this company. We aren't going to spend a lot of, if we we need to be cathartic and we need to talk this way, that's fine. But what I really want to do is focus on action. What are we going to do? How do we move beyond uh, looking at this as such a negative thing? How do we change the conversation from talking about the word diversity today, diversity, it's such a beautiful, awesome word, diversity. And yet there's a fear, even in bringing it up, there's a fear in talking about it. We're all so afraid saying the wrong thing. We're also afraid of the gotcha, you know, um, around it. And I would love if we'd all get back to a place where we would say diversity and our eyes would light up and we'd get excited because that's how I still feel um, about the diversity that I've created at this office and the diversity um, of the people that are, are working on our projects.
1: I like the way you have spoken about joy in designing, and I'm wondering what joyful design projects
0: are on your portfolio
1: now? You know, <laughs> I'd love to hear about a few.
0: Yeah, we, we have a project actually right now that's about um, the practice of joy and looking at, yeah, and looking at where are those bright spots in people's experience. So for example, a lot of times, uh, you know, a client or any kind of entity will say, okay, this is broken. How do we fix it? What are the pain points in this journey? Let's, you know, uh, I think healthcare has come a long way in terms of looking at whole patient journeys. The idea of a patient journey is not new. Certainly everyone talks this talk, but I still think people are looking for pain points and problems as opposed to what we call bright spots. And those are moments of joy, so looking at those and, uh, you know, finding ways for us to tap into uh, how, I say, a, a doctor's experience throughout the day is so tough, so hard. I can imagine in your role, there must be days and experiences that are absolutely devastating. Um, but what were the bright spots? What were the moments of joy and rather than say, okay, those things are joy, so take, they, they, they're done. We don't need to think about or worry about those things because they're, you know, they're those moments. Those are the opportunities to really capitalize and innovate. How do you take a moment of joy and expand on it? Usually those moments of joy are workarounds or they're things that um, are completely unsupported and just sort of you know, created and ignored. Uh, and I often find that the pain points get fixed Uh, when you're focusing on the bright spots. So, yeah, we have a project right now that's all about that, looking at joy. How do you bring more joy to practice? What about any projects on devices? Right. So we're working with a Japanese company right now that has been making devices that are all about remote blood pressure monitoring. And uh, this is really interesting because the technology to create these devices is incredibly simple. It's basically a chip, Wi-Fi connected to a blood pressure monitor. The problem with this is that um, the the, the object, the device, is one way. It's usually prescribed by a doctor who is then reading your input. You, the patient, you're now at home. You're checking your blood pressure uh, constantly, and you're sending it off, but you have no idea. You're not getting feedback. It's really one way. The doctor has all the information. You as a patient, maybe you'll get a bill. Uh, <laughs> and the bill, you know, will, I mean, it's funny. We had a, one patient actually say, well, so this is, um, this is interesting. I'm getting this bill, you know, and this is the only information I'm getting. Do, you know, are they going to alert me, like, when, I, when, I, when I'm dead? Like, what, what kind of information am I getting? I'm not getting any feedback here. So right away, you know, there's this huge opportunity to think about a device that actually empowers the patient, gives the patient control over their information. Your Feedback is just the tip of the iceberg. Well, What about a device that goes beyond just measuring your blood pressure? If we're measuring your blood pressure, can we be measuring other factors? Can we be thinking broadly and systemically about your health long term? So that's a project we're working on right now. That's great.
1: Really, really great.
0: But yeah, you know, one of the things that we're going to be working on Actually, coming up right now, I'm really excited about it. It's a healthcare project. I know you're interested in the design field, but uh, long COVID, you know, long COVID to me is such an incredible design problem to solve because it's ambiguous. I think the best ways you can use design is in projects that are really complex, really ambiguous, meaning that what design does is we really look uh, systemically at everything, We look at all five human factors. We don't just think about the physical issues and what's what's related with long COVID. We think about the social, the cognitive, the emotional, the cultural. And when we approach things this way, we have a lot more success. And so long COVID is just this ripe opportunity to really look at things the right way, given that right now, we don't even, no one even agrees on what long COVID exactly is, Um. I'm excited about this project because uh, the company that we're working with is uh, conducting a clinical trial. And as we all know, clinical trial dropout rate is a major issue, no matter what healthcare issue you're trying to investigate. I think the percentages are 30 to 40% of, of people that enter a clinical trial dropout. I actually thought the number would be higher than that. But even so, that's, to me, such a design problem to solve. So as we move forward in long COVID and we're putting these clinical trials together, what an opportunity to redesign the clinical trial so that we're looking at it from a consumerist point of view. Things like convenience, fear, anxiety. These are things that uh, make people drop out of those clinical trials and they're all design challenges to be solved.
1: the Risa wrap-up, there's something that Kathleen said that I really, really like that I want to highlight here. You have to live the problem to design the solution. And this is why Kathleen went into the operating room to figure out how to make better hip fracture devices. This is why Kathleen runs with athletes when she's trying to figure out better high-performance devices for athletes. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciated the time that Kathleen took to join me And I want you to remember, audience, all of us are designers. All of us can include the end user, the patient, the person to get better performance, better outcome, better solutions, better lives. That's it for this week, audience. See you next time. The Visible Voices podcast amplifies voices both known and unknown discussing topics of healthcare equity and current trends. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. You can listen on whatever platform you subscribe to podcasts. Our team includes Stacy Gitlin and Dr. Giuliano DePorto. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode, please contact me, risa at thevisiblevoicespodcast.com. I'm based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I'm on Twitter, at risa E. Lewis. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, to be continued.